One announcement I wanted to make real quick is that we've actually had a few seats become available for our June Standard of Truth tour. This is that tour that's going uh, to Boston and a bunch of the American history sites and then to the church history sites you know, in, in Harmony and in Palmyra and eventually ending off in Kirtland. So if you are interested in that, go to standardoftruth.com and look under the tour link and you can get the details there. Welcome to the Standard of Truth podcast. In this podcast, Dr. Garrett Dirkmont and Professor Richard LaDuke explore the early history of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and the life and teachings of Prophet Joseph Smith. They examine the original historical sources and provide context for events of the past. They approach the history of the church with faith, expertise, and humor. Hi, welcome to another episode and a new season of the Standard of Truth podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Garrett Dirkmont, and I'm joined by my friend, Professor Richard LaDuke. Hello, Garrett. Welcome to season three of the Standard of Truth podcast. We're Sounded re- like for a second you, you weren't sure what the name of the podcast <laughs> was. <Is> that- <laughs> welcome to season three of whatever this is. Um, we're very Richard's, excited. He's starting to mail it in a little bit. I feel like... <laughs> Ever since I got to- my name in the intro. Well, welcome to the new intro. Yep. It's very exciting uh, to get my name on the uh, on the on the mast. Uh, yeah, on the marquee. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think it's safe to say that you have arrived uh, when you are part of the intro. Yeah, right? it's, it's very nice. It's I, a, just wait till you get that PhD in hand. Oh my! I mean, gosh, when he's Doctor, can you imagine? Like the the new intro will be something like Doctor LeDuke with sometimes special <laughs> guest. Here I'm talking about, and then. I'm pretty sure that this is going to be the Standard Truth podcast brought to you by President LaDuke at some point in the future. Well, it is. It is. It was very, very nice for the uh, the the few contributions that I make as I poorly read emails. Um, we are very excited to be in season three. Uh, this is is a lot of fun. Uh, we really are so grateful for the listeners and uh, and the kind emails that they send and the wonderful support that they give. And so we want to start this uh, beginning, this episode one of season three, Out With a Bang, by reading a series of emails that just say wonderful things about us. And then kind of- Because re- maybe you're tuning into the podcast for the first time. Yes. Yeah, you might have just barely, someone shared this with you. And they said, no, no, you should listen to this. It's really good. And already you're thinking, this isn't good. No. So we need to have testimonials. That's right. To let you know that other people think that it's good. Other emails that we invented, people so, that we invented and then wrote <laughs> to ourselves. So we're going to uh, we're going to read those emails saying how wonderful we are and then we're going to recap demonstrate how terrible we actually are by recapping a three-parter that we did. So we're starting season 3 with part 3 and a half of um, our Mormons Christian. Um, spoiler alert. We don't know not. yet. No. Oh, sorry. Know. We don't know. We're going to find Spoilers. out. Don't, right. Yeah. We need people coming back to the well. <laughs> That's right. All right. So this comes to us from Jason. If you guys ever stop doing the podcast, I'm quitting the church and it's on you. Right. That it's yes. That's a lot of pressure on us. It is. It is. Well, if we cared about Jason, it would be, <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm sorry, Jason. <laughs> I never would have thought I could learn so much and laugh so much listening to a history podcast. You guys are awesome. Keep it up. Jason, that's very uh, kind. Very nice, Jason. Thank Please you very, stay very nice. in the church regardless. 
<laughs> at some point, our money losing operation that this is is going to catch up to us. On the bright side, I'm not a, a, a businessman or an economist. And so I, I somehow think the deficit spending on producing the podcast will work out in the end. Yes, we, we wanted to wait to release the premium content until the economy was completely in the toilet. That's our plan. Our plan is to wait for a recession and then see if we can find a way to pay for the podcast. Yeah, that's right. People have less discretionary income. You know what? Premium content. Yeah. Dear Dr. Dirk Mott and soon-to-be Dr. LaDuke, not at my current this, pace, this by the way. Email? This is another email. email. Yes, yes. Uh, I look forward to each Thursday and your podcast. I have no questions about the history of the church nor, th- nor its authenticity. First of all, Danette, this is already the makings of a great email. Yeah, frankly, you think we're great and you have no questions. I would like her to email us every week. <laughs> That's right. Can we get several more emails like that? But your podcast has strengthened my testimony of the church and those who have led the church in the past and are leading the church currently. My... My most favorite part and the parts I appreciate most are your strong testimonies of the gospel and the leaders of the church. Thank you for strengthening my testimony with your testimonies. Danette, thank you very much. That's a very kind very thing, kind. Danette. You know, and look, Richard and I do joke around a lot on the podcast. And I mean, part of that is because, look, we're we're best friends and we love just hanging out with each other. And, and it's kind of fun to just share that with other people. And I realize we're not everyone's cup of tea. I mean... Uh, I've already heard, don't worry, from several people who've let me know that I'm far <laughs> too jovial and that only if I were dour and and speaking in hushed tones the entire podcast would I really have a testimony. Um, but hopefully no one takes the fact that we love life and we love talking about the gospel and history, that we that they take it as some kind of a, a detriment to, to what it is we believe. Because... This podcast starts and ends with the fact that we believe that Joseph Smith was a prophet of God and that we believe that President Nelson's a prophet of God and everything in between. And that doesn't mean that there's messy aspects of history that we have to kind of sort out and parse out and try to find answers for. But uh, that's what our hope is. Our hope is that someone listening can find themselves strengthened. Someone listening who who has a, a serious question might say, you know what, maybe, you know, maybe the, the YouTuber that I'm listening to that's telling me all about, you know, how Joseph wasn't a prophet, maybe they aren't as educated as they think they are. Um, and then, you know, for others, you know, hopefully it, it prevents them from having, you know, questions of faith at some point in the future. I mean, I, I, I desperately want everybody to believe I'm not pretending here, right. In the sense that, you know, Everyone who's listening to the podcast knows that I have a testimony of the church. It really is a part of who I am. And I realize that there are some people who listen who don't have a testimony at all. And they think that because I have a testimony, that just places into question every single thing that I say. And I, I understand that perspective. But the my rebuttal to that would be, um, at least I've examined those sources surrounding the thing that we're talking about. I, I'm not simply someone who's believing in a blind faith. You know, I, I, it's, it, it is a quite often thing that I get called a sheep, actually. It's very funny how often someone's like, well, you're just one of those sheep that follows the prophet. Yes, it's a terrible thing to be a sheep. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. It's a, it, it, 
but the idea is that, well, you're just a mind wish. You're just following after what the church says because you, you know, you have, uh, you know, you this blind, you know, willingness to follow and believe. It is true that I believe and I follow what the church, because the Holy Spirit has told me that the church is true, but it's anything but blind. And, and that would be my rebuttal to someone who says something otherwise. If, if your argument is the only reason why uh, I, you know, say that I have a testimony is because I work for the church. Well, then you at least need to do the same amount of legwork I did to get to where we're at in, 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 in understanding the sources surrounding the history of the church. Um, that's available. Anyone can go to school and, and, and get a PhD in history. I mean, the fact they're letting Richard get a PhD demonstrates legitimately anyone can go get a PhD. Oh, this speaks very poorly yeah. of Oklahoma State and their admission process. Yeah, I mean, I mean, honestly, right now, the Oklahoma State Cowboys, their first big problem, Oklahoma going to the SEC. Their second big problem, Richard's going to be a graduate soon of their university. <laughs> it is. I, yeah, I don't know if that's the second. It's <laughs> Maybe first. Well, yes. Yeah, only because T. Boone Pickens has passed away is that is that a larger issue? But in in all seriousness, and you know, hopefully our joviality doesn't you know turn people off. And if it does, look, everybody learns differently. And in, and in my life, what I found is that when you talk about serious topics, it it helps to it helps to be a little bit jovial at times, just because. Look, I'm not any better than anybody listening to this podcast. I'm frankly substantially worse than Danette or any of the other people that have emailed. No question. Uh, and Richard knows me personally. Uh, it, it's not about being a better. It, it's just it, the reality is I I want to try to help people uh, who are s- perhaps struggling with issues of church history and at least share with them the things I've learned from my um, time on the Joseph Smith Papers and working in church history and teaching religion at Brigham Young University. So anyway, thank you so much for the email. Uh, both of those uh, emails were awesome. And, and Richard, you got a couple more for us. I here. do. I do. Um, so we have here one from Taylor. Uh, thank you for creating the Standard of Truth podcast. I love listening, though I only get to sporadically. <laughs> First of all, Taylor, um, you know, do better. Yeah, I mean, yeah, sporadically. No, not in life. Just in how often you download the podcast. <laughs> Actually, we don't care if you yeah, listen. Just we, as yeah. long as you download. Yeah, it. we just need your downloads. We've got to drive those numbers. It helps that uh, it's as close to truth as most podcasts get. In that, uh, in that, it touches upon things of eternity. But I also love listening to Doctor Dirk Matt and, and enjoy Dirk Mott and enjoy the way. Uh, his way of explaining church history and gospel doctrine. I hope that the podcast will go on in so, some form, possibly forever. Wow. Well, that is, that is, hot. thank you, Taylor. Now I, I, I do need to circle back to Richard's point that if you want us to go on forever, we're going to need you to listen to more often than sporadically. <laughs> no. uh, thank you. That's really, that's, that's really kind. And uh, uh, I'm very appreciative of the, of the kind thoughts. Our next email comes to us um, relating to the topic that we ended season uh, two on, the idea of Mormons being Christian. Um, and um, it was a three-parter that uh, went through a lot of different history going back um, you know, all the way to Roman times to help to set the table for how by most Christian definitions it, it, is, it is different. 
And one of the problems that people face is that they talk past each other. As we talk to our uh, Christian brothers and sisters, uh, that even though we might be saying the same words, we're not understanding that they're not understanding and vice versa. So um, first of all, your treatment of this new topic is awesome. Terrific. Delivered with your brand of humor and so enlightening. Why so enlightening? One reason is because I've had these conversations conversations with Protestant friends and neither of us knew the theology. And so we went round and round and round using the same vocabulary for different things. But you're explaining it from their point of view, not in any defensive way, just explaining it, and why there's a confusion. Also, the reasons for the variety of early Christian beliefs has been so helpful. I've never thought to ask, why would they come up with all these odd, to me, ideas about God up until now? They were all just a bunch of weird ancient beliefs. Next, from listening to all of this, what I am getting is that the creedal God is like some big old divine amoeba with one extension that presents the person of Christ, another that presents the Holy Ghost, and a third that presents the person of God the Father. Do they believe that, the -the run-of-the-mill Protestant, Catholic, and Orthodox Christian? Or do most run-of-the-mill folks think God and Christ are separate anthropomorphic persons are most Christians essentially polytheists, or am I so caught up in my Latter-day Saint upbringing that I've been blind to all these years what they truly believe? I mean, if most of the average Christians in those traditions believe this, it's crazy huge oversight in my understanding. Keep it up. And just so you know, this is my this is the first time anyone has offered premium content about which I'm actually thinking, man, I cannot wait to fork over some money for that. <laughs> I love these podcasts. John. Well, what a kind email. Now, first of all, uh, we're talking about those premium uh, podcasts. Um, we, we plan to do several different types that are focused. Um, one is just going to be a, 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 one is just a general, uh, American history podcast. We've had multiple people actually email and say, I wish you'd just talk more about American history. I can only assume that means because when I do religion, I do it poorly. Yes. And so they're like, you know what? You, you know, you seem to Those be, evils are coming from you me. Know, the, the, the Guadalupe Hidalgo, you were all over that. <laughs> is there any way you could get more on tariffs? <laughs> yeah. I, I appreciated what you had to say about Andrew Jackson so very deeply, um, but please don't ever speak about my religion again. So that one, that one is condemned to repeat. It is the name of that, and it's a uh, standard of truth production. Um, so that'll be on the uh, on the uh, of premium value, and then we have a couple of others. Yeah, and if you sign up for the premium, then you're also going to get uh, access to uh, a chronological history of the church. Uh, that will kind of follow the history of the church from from beginning as we release episodes, you know, up through you know, the end of the the Joseph Smith and the early Brigham Young era, probably, or whenever we get shut down, you know, which is so probably, you know, early early Sharon Vermont. But no, uh, that, the plan is to kind of do it in a more chronological fashion, so that if you're if you're like, you know what, I I want to kind of understand the unfolding of the church in order rather than from jumping from, you know, one aspect of Protestant God theology to another, um, you know, some people might find that a little bit more helpful. And 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 uh, there we're looking to start with the Reformation yes, to kind of show and, the radical nature of Joseph and, Smith. As I say in that in, in that first podcast, the, the reason why we start kind of reflects John's email there. I find that most Latter-day Saints don't appreciate what it is that they believe, not because they don't love the church, 
but primarily because they don't really understand what it is that other Christians believe and why they believe them. And if they did, they would see Joseph Smith as far more radical than he is. And that, 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 can that separation is is a helpful thing, and we're, we're going to kind of talk about that here with this email. But that podcast is going to be uh, called Joseph Smith and the Restoration, and uh, again, it'll be part of our premium content. So I was I was just thinking. We, so Garrett and I took a couple of philosophy classes together in college, <laughs> and um, we had uh, we had one particular professor that we took. It was uh, we took every Robson? class we could. Robson, Robson, great, yeah. great, great. He was he was outstanding. I he, mean, he was, he was someone great. born to be a university philosophy professor. So one of the things that was absolutely fantastic about him is, at least my understanding was, is that he was the only Latter-day Saint in the philosophy department. And the praise that he got from other philosophers within that department as all he did was essentially cite Mormon doctrine. Well, he he, he didn't say it would come, but so for we were we took a class. Richard and I again took a class together. That way we could just cheat with each other's papers. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, you cheated off mine, sure. Yeah, yeah. no, it happened all the time. <laughs> well, Angie actually took that class with us too, um, and uh, she included a whole bunch of graphics in her final paper, charts, graphs, and, and she was trying to beef up the number of pages. I should have Angie just come on the mic and tell us about that. She's trying to beef up the number of pages, and I'm like, Angie, like half of your paper is just charts and graphs. You're like not even writing anything. And she's like, no, no, they're good. It'll be fine. Now, Angie, of course, was getting a marketing and business <laughs> degree, right? So so she understood apparently presentation is everything, unlike, obviously, I don't have that degree. That's why this podcast is so terrible. <laughs> I don't have the presentation is everything. So Angie and I have this conversation back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. She gets, I'm like, you really, you're going to have to write it. Gets the paperback, 100% on the paper. He's writing about, I love the fact you included so many charts and graphs. It was one of those times where early in the marriage, I realized that anytime I think Angie's wrong, I'm the one who's wrong. And that. It was. That's right. It's been reiterated over and over again. But so, so he, we we took his uh, um, philosophy of the New Testament course. Yeah, and 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 um, we took a, a a course from a different professor, who just praised and praised and praised this guy. Loved you, him. You bring thought, him up all the time. He's like, thought, thought he was just a genius. He's like, you know, you know, it's it's so incredible. If you if you, I, if any of you have taken a class from Professor Robson, he has this idea that even beyond Platonism. That that we have all existed. Fascinating, fascinating. You don't talk to anyone who thinks we've always all existed. Every Latter Day Saint in there. This is Cash Valley. It's fifty percent of the class. Yeah, right. No, the whole class said they're like, really? You don't say. <laughs> Someone thinks that we existed before this life. It was interesting. Great. Anyway. Interesting. So uh, I don't even remember what we were talking about, Professor Robs. So it's just the radical nature of the right. of of what comes to us from Joseph Smith, right? And so you need the Reformation to kind of create a context for what that looks like. And then we are also going to uh, do a, a separate podcast uh, that Richard desperately wants to call "Crinkling Leaves." I want yeah, it's that that NPR. It's like they're talking to somebody. They're doing an interview as they're walking through the woods, and they've and got the gonna... sound in the background, the muffled footsteps, <laughs> the the crunch, crunch, crunch. I came out here to find myself. It was only then that I realized 
I've found Correct. eternity. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> something like that. That's right. um, but uh, it, it's actually going to be about the the historic sites of, of the church. And we, we call it holy places from our past. And what we're going to do with each episode of that part of the, the premium content is we're going we're gonna to probably have to cover in more than one episode, honestly. Uh, we're going to take a place like Harmony, Pennsylvania, and we're going to talk about the the things that happened of significance in that place. And, and hopefully that'll be of use to people who are going to visit these places or people who just, you know, won't have the ability to go visit them. You know, our listener in Australia probably isn't making it to Palmyra anytime soon. Although if, if you come, I'm going to make a special trip out there to go there with you. That's, that's incredible. Um, but, um, as a way of, of helping understand why these places are sacred uh, to us and, and we'll kind of follow that won't be as chronological. We'll go different place to place as a means of kind of, you know, what, what might you hear if you uh, were going to this place and, and we were having a conversation about the revelations, the miracles, the the teachings of the church that unfolded in, in that particular historic side of the church. So that that's what our premium content is. Again, we still have this free content and if you're thinking right now, I I'm, I wouldn't pay for this and I'm not paying for it, don't worry. You yes, won't. welcome to the free content where for 20 minutes we talk about the premium content that you should all get. Yes, it's it's a, it's a, a wise marketing strategy. Uh, if you, you know, as soon as they get a little authority as they suppose. <laughs> they immediately begin hawking their premium content. Yeah. So, so anyway, so going to... Um, this uh, this question then um, one of the we actually received quite a few emails about this idea of Mormons being Christian and and that kind of echoed some of the sentiment that John expressed as it relates to I kind of now am understanding how I've always just been talking past my Protestant friends so we wanted to we wanted to expand yeah, on that a little maybe spend bit a little bit more time on that because this really is a it's a really key issue now he asked a couple questions. Do Christians, do most Christians, he said, Orthodox, Catholic, Protestant, do they believe in this Trinitarian God? And the answer is yes. In fact, it is one of the things that is used to determine whether or not you are considered a Christian by many. When when your Christian friend says you're not a Christian or that you worship a different Jesus than I do, the primary thing that they are thinking of when they say it is you don't believe in a Trinitarian God, the one in three and three in one. Now they don't describe it the way that, you know, you you described it in your email as, you know, that you have one God and this, this is a presentation of one part and a presentation of another. They, They would call that modalism that, that God has, you know, different fingers essentially. And this one, you know, the, you know, here comes pointer, here comes pointer, <laughs> Holy ghost or something. And no, that, that, that's probably incredibly blasphemous. Uh, but that's not how they may, I can't speak to how every individual Christian views it. Richard's having a hard time with my, my nursery rhyme. Um, are you okay? I'm fine. Yeah. You sound okay. I'm fine. Um, the, most Christians, of course, you know, I can't speak to every Christian, but in their theology, absolutely. They are almost all Trinitarian. There are some exceptions, um, but those exceptions are seen as a heresy. It, it is one of the fascinating aspects of the Protestant Reformation. And I think in part because it started with Martin Luther and not with John Calvin. 
uh, or other radical reformers, that there are parts of the early Christian theology that are absolutely maintained. The arguments that occur in the Reformation are almost entirely centered around how does someone get saved? Now, that is a question about salvation. But you'll notice it's not actually a question about the the first principle, right? I mean, anyone who can recite to you the articles of faith, the, the first principles is, is God and Jesus, right? I mean, they actually aren't questioning that aspect. So Luther's entire issue is, how is it that a sinner is saved? And, and his solution to that question is something that the Catholic Church is going to remonstrate against quite a bit. And other people are going to present other solutions as well that, that are all different. But the Protestant Reformation surrounds this argument over what is necessary for salvation. Is it faith alone that God just gives to me? Is it faith that I have to acquire myself? Is there some acts that I are there some acts that I have to do in order to, uh, uh, you know, make the grace of Christ efficacious in my life? Um, are there still holy sacraments that need to be performed? But they don't. They stop short of reevaluating all of that tradition. And like I said, Martin Luther especially. Now, Martin Luther is going to rail against indulgences and against salvation as presented through the Catholic Church, and he is going to lose his mind over the idea of purgatory and salvation that comes through through works. Um, again, Catholics would not argue that salvation comes through works. This is just what Luther would say. So if you happen to be a Catholic listening, first of all, thank you for being oh, so open-minded. Nice yeah, that's great. Second of all, I, I'm not saying that that's what you believe. Third of all, have you thought about our premium content? <laughs> I'm saying that that's what Luther said that you believed. And I think you're more than willing as a Catholic to believe that Martin Luther said some pretty negative <laughs> things about you. If not, you really need to tune into the premium content. Um, uh, this, uh, it, it, it's, it's always been fascinating to me that while the reformers are railing on the corruption of the Catholic Church, they stop short of rejecting the creedal statements that were derived under that same Catholic Church. So, so the same Catholic Church that is saying that the Pope is Christ's vicar on earth, that he holds special authority passed down from Peter, that argument is going to be rejected by the Reformers. But that same Pope who presides over the Council of Chalcedon and the Council of Constantinople and the Council of Nicaea that set the terms of what God is and who Jesus is and what his nature is, those things are unquestioned and they remain fundamental to, to Protestant and Catholic theology. Martin Luther is going to question every single thing there is about the Catholic Church, except who the Catholic Church says God is, and who they say Jesus is, and who they say the Holy Spirit is. That That's actually a surprising thing when you think about it. While they are burning down the mansion, much, much like lefty 
you know, Left Eye Lopez. Left Eye uh, Lopez of uh, TLC uh, fame. With Andre, Andre, Andre Ryzen's mansion. That's right. Uh, that's a that's a late 90s, mid-90s hit You for may not be a TLC fan or an Atlanta Falcons fan, but if you are, you'll know what we're talking about. If not, you can Google it. Um, and that was the problem. Ultimately, Martin Luther was chasing waterfalls. Yeah, well, he went chasing waterfalls. Yep, and that's, that's right. but as far as the Catholics are concerned. Um, if we have any Lutherans listening again, thank you for listening. <laughs> I'm sure you tuned into this podcast by mistake and are wondering when we'll get to the point of talking about Sola uh, Scriptura. Um, but it is, it is a fascinating, when you say uh, in your email, you know, is this what all other Christians believe? Obviously, what an individual Christian believes is is completely up to whoever you're talking to. I mean, I talk to Latter-day Saints all the time who say things to me, and all I'm thinking in my head is, like, not only do we not believe that as a church, I hate the idea that anyone believes that, but I'm nodding and smiling and like, okay, okay. Um, yeah, no, we... We we don't we don't think that the Knights Templar are the the. <laughs> well, I, so I, I'll give you an example. A friend of ours um, that uh, that was a neighbor of ours. She grew up Catholic and uh, is now, I believe, a Baptist, living in in Texas. And she does not believe that God and Jesus are the same essence or person or or being, mm-hmm. and also doesn't believe that her church believes or teaches that, right? And so um, just because when when you are when you're hearing a general Baptist sermon, they're not necessarily getting into kind of the the deeper theology of how that of how so, that works. So that's kind of the caveat here, right? When you're talking if you're talking to a specific friend, John, you, you kind of need to ask them, you know, what do you believe about God and why do you believe it? Now, some of the things that that people believe about, you know, the Trinitarian theology, of course, you know, we we point out one of them's added to the Bible later in the in the in the Middle Ages. Um, but there are reasons why people might believe on both sides. When you say, do people naturally conceive of God and Jesus as being different? I think so, but again, not anthropomorphically. Certainly, in the case of Jesus, all Christians believe. Well, all traditional Christians, mainline Christians believe that Jesus has a body, that somehow Jesus has a body and that God doesn't have a body, but they're all the same God. And they don't like expressing it as here's one appendage of God. That's Jesus that has a body. And here's one appendage of God. That's the Holy spirit that doesn't, they would call that modalism and modalism is a heresy. They would say that an indescribable mystery that God the Father who does not have a body is the same God that is Jesus that does have a body that is the same God that is the Holy Spirit which does not have a body. They would recoil in horror at your suggestion that they are polytheists. In fact, you will find sometimes when you... when. Look, you don't get this in a in like a subreddit chat room when someone's just talking about why Mormons are going to burn in hell, <laughs> but you do get it when you're having a higher theological discussion with with a pastor and it's not just all what about polygamy and and what about, you know, uh what about the Book of Mormon? When you're actually having a theological discussion about what you believe, 
it is an accusation that is leveled at times against Latter-day Saints. Christians would maintain that absolutely they are monotheists because God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, those separate persons are all the same God in a way that is completely incomprehensible and then a way that you couldn't possibly know. Now, Latter-day Saints are not saying that. We are saying that God the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are absolutely unified in purpose. They are all in the Godhead is what we like to use, but that there are three distinct beings that have always been distinct that are a part of that Godhead. And so we Christians will sometimes accuse Latter-day Saints of being polytheists. Now, you get into a whole semantic war of words when it comes to polytheism or monotheism because a Latter-day Saint might say, well, we, we only worship God the Father through Jesus Christ. So we're only worshiping God the Father, right? And uh, oftentimes when a Christian levels that accusation that a Latter-day Saint is a polytheist, they aren't, they aren't splitting hairs about whether you're worshiping God or Jesus. I mean, you only have to go to sacrament meeting on Sunday uh, to know that we're singing hymns that are in worship of Jesus, right? Jesus, the very thought of thee, uh, is clearly a, a worshipful song about Jesus. They would say that if you even believe that there is more than one God, that makes you a polytheist and therefore a heretic. It was one of the reasons why, if you remember on our previous podcast, it's one of the reasons why, uh, you know, uh, Arius, uh, 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 Arius is is considered a, uh, a, a heretic because ultimately, what is he saying? That Jesus was created by the Father. And that means they are distinct and separate. So you'll actually find people saying that that Mormons are modern-day Arianists. It's not true. Uh, certainly Latter-day Saints don't believe that the same way. But it's how Christians conceive of those outside of their boundaries as one long string of heresies. Um, early Christian theologians, uh, sorry, historians of early Christian theology, modern historians, they are pretty divided over how theological concepts developed over the course of time, in part because we have such we have such limited sources. What seems to be pretty obvious by the time of the Council of Nicaea is there are lots of people that believe that God and Jesus are separate beings. If that wasn't the case, you would not need to have a Council of Nicaea. I mean, sometimes you can determine things on the basis of what the discussion is. You don't have to wonder if people were questioning what the nature of Jesus's human nature was and his godlike nature was. They have multiple councils trying to settle that question. Well, why is it a question? Because people are on both sides of the issue. Um, it's kind of like, you know, you you can get a Democrat and a Republican in a room and you can have an argument about taxes 
all day long. You're going to have an argument about government spending all day long, an argument. You don't find them arguing over whether or not brothers and sisters should be allowed to marry each other, right? Doesn't come up. And I know that some of you are going to send me some wry email jokes about that. But the point is, why aren't they arguing over that? Well, because that's a settled point of doctrine, or at least of culture, that that doesn't happen. What do you argue over? You argue over things that are on the margin. Republicans and Democrats are not arguing. We're going to turn this into a political podcast. Yeah, you know what? We're going to do a political spinoff called Republicans and Democrats <laughs> are not arguing. Now, they, they are not arguing that there shouldn't be any taxes at all. You actually have to be pretty hard-pressed to even find a libertarian who says that there shouldn't be any taxes at all, right? It's a question of how are they collected? Who should spend them? How should they be spent? Who should pay taxes? Who should have a right to have a say? And who, you know, all those are questions about whether or not, uh, not, they're not questions about whether or not taxes should exist. They're questions about the nature of taxes, how many, how few, and what should be done with them. That is a good way of looking at these early Christian controversies. The question is surrounding the nature of them and how it is that they can be one God. Modern Christians aren't even asking that question anymore. And they see anyone who asks the question, are God and Jesus separate? They see that person as being fundamentally a heretic, which is the reason why your Protestant friend might see you as a heretic. They believe it's a matter of settled scripture, settled doctrine, settled history. There's a reason why Jehovah's Witnesses are often lumped in with Latter-day Saints as being uh, not traditional Christians, um, because that claim that Latter-day Saints make, that, that, that Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ are separate and distinct in individuals. It doesn't matter how unified in purpose they might be, that they are two separate people, two different gods, if you have to say it that way. That alone causes the heresy. Um, you asked the question of, is this what um, Catholics, Orthodox, and uh, Protestants believe? Again, when you talk about mainline Protestants, despite what Richard's friend believes at their local Baptist church, um, you you can't find a Baptist who's arguing theologically that God and Jesus are separate individuals. Now, all of the Catholic conventions are going to say that. Now, Baptist churches are very, uh, sorry, all the Baptist con, uh, conventions are going to say that. Baptists are actually very hard to pin down on what they believe. And I don't mean they're being cagey about it. The entire point of the Baptist church, it, the reason why it is founded is on the idea that only local individual churches have the ability to declare doctrine for their members, obviously using the Holy Bible and the Holy Spirit. So that's the reason why you don't know whether or not a Baptist is a Calvinist or an Arminian or something in between just by finding out that they're a Baptist. So and the question was, though, in terms of from a theological standpoint, the Orthodox, the Catholic, and the Protestant absolutely line up to this. But, it, but Except for the Orthodox. Let me give a caveat to that. 
if you recall, and, and this is this is pretty deep in there, so this is probably the time to stop listening. So go ahead and shut us off. <laughs> Tune into the premium content. Um, the Orthodox actually have a uh, a a slightly different view of the Trinity than Catholicism does, and that term Trinity actually comes through the the Western Catholic tradition, not through the Eastern Orthodox. If you recall, they were having a debate about whether. Um, Jesus was the same essence as the father or whether he was similar essence as the father and the Eastern Orthodox churches. Again, there's various different ones. So if you know of a a caveat, yes, there are caveats, but the Eastern Orthodox churches generally hold to that homoousion argument that God and Jesus are a similar substance or a similar essence. Um, Not that they are the same essence, which actually allows for a little bit more flexibility. Um, I've I've actually talked to a converted uh, uh, Greek Orthodox guy who became a Latter-day Saint. And he felt like the Greek Orthodox tradition that God and Jesus were similar substance allowed him to much more readily embrace our teaching of the Godhead because in Catholics are arguing they're literally the same that whatever Jesus is, God is. And the Orthodox was arguing that they are similar in the sense that they are, they look the same. They seem the same. They are, they're not literally the same. And that was a huge point of contention. It's actually one of the points of contention that prevents, uh, obviously there's all kinds of political considerations as well, but there've been several efforts of reproachment between uh, the uh, Eastern Orthodox churches and the Catholic church, because they have many very, very similar beliefs as you might imagine. But one of the places where they really differ is in that argument about the phraseology of the nature of God and Jesus. So I, I do want to give that as a caveat to that. Um, an Eastern Orthodox Christian would not say, if they, again, let's say we have a Catholic and an Eastern Orthodox who both really know what they believe, not, not just someone who goes to church once a year, okay? They would point out that they are dissimilar in their belief about how the Trinity interacts with one another. But that, that's where I'm saying that, that there is something within what, is being taught by the church that the church believes versus to this, to to John's point here, the the rank and file, the person that's going to the church on Sunday, they might actually think of God and Jesus. And I think that's because it's so much easier to do. And, and look, Christians acknowledge that, that people think of God as being a dude and having a body because God says he creates man in his own image and likeness. But, uh, Christians don't believe that that extends to God having a body. They believe God is without body, parts, or passions. And that is such a fundamental statement. God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. I mean, that that is adjusted by Joseph Smith in the in uh, his uh, uh, revision to, to the New Testament. But that is a, a, a belief across all what you might call mainline Christians. And even like, look, even like super evangelical, you know, Pentecostal, you know, snake handlers in West Virginia, they are still going to have a fundamental belief that God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are all one God. So then how, how then, so God and Jesus, okay. 
but God and the Holy Ghost then, what's the what's the differentiation between between that? It's a difference in function of what they're doing because the Holy Spirit is the the bringer of truth. From a Calvinist perspective, which is what many of these religions branch off of, it is the Holy Spirit that delivers the faith that is the free gift from God that is based upon Jesus' sacrifice. Now, look, very easily you can descend into, well, if God doesn't have a body and the Holy Spirit doesn't have a body, then I guess they're the same thing. I understand why someone would go to that point. But if you were in Christian school and it was back in the day, you'd have your knuckles wrapped with a ruler (laughs) because that is absolutely not what they are arguing. And literally the creed says, says exactly that. The creed says, neither confounding the persons. Now, confounding the persons, what does that mean? Confusing them for each other, right? So don't say that the Holy Spirit is God, the Father. Don't say that the Holy Spirit is, is Jesus. Neither confounding the persons nor dividing the essence. And again, you know, I love how John says, you know, in my Latter-day Saint thinking, is that the reason why I'm having such a hard time? It, it absolutely is. It's because when you think of God, you have always thought of God as being an exalted man. How can you get outside of that belief? It's really, really, really hard. But what if you had never thought about God as being an exalted man? What if you thought of God as just being a being? And God isn't a dude. God just is. Well, then, if God is an indescribable being that we couldn't possibly comprehend, then the way that that incomprehensible being could both be uh, uh, the Father and the Son and that son have a body, even though the father doesn't have a body and the Holy Spirit not having a body, that they could all be the same essence or the same being, the same substance, yet individual persons in that substance. It's pretty hard to understand, but all Christians will say on the matter of the Trinity is you can't comprehend it, which Again, for a Latter-day Saint, you might say that's a cop-out, but we say similar things. I mean, we say, Joseph Smith says, you can't comprehend the glory of the telestial kingdom. The only way you could understand the glory of the telestial kingdom is if God opened the heavens and showed it to you. That means that I could study all day long, every day for the rest of my life, or even a smarter person than me, or just a smart person, could do that all day long, every day for the rest of their life, and they would never understand the glory of the celestial kingdom. It's beyond our ability to understand it. Does that mean the celestial kingdom doesn't really exist? Does that mean the celestial kingdom can't really be true because I can't come to an understanding of it? Well, a Latter-day Saint would say, no. You need to take the prophet at his, at his word that the reason why you can't understand it is because it's beyond you. A Christian would say the same thing about the Trinity. It is an unknowable mystery, but important that they start and end with the fact that God is literally nothing like us. God is not like us at all. How? So then what then um, is the purpose of, of Jesus if God could have 
saved all of us without him? So you have to ask the question, right? That's a, a great theological question. Could God have saved all of mankind without Jesus? The answer for anything about God always has to be yes. He could have. Yeah. For a Christian, God is literally all powerful. There's only one thing, as we talked about, that God can't do. The only thing that God cannot do is make you exactly like him. Because God has literally always existed. And you haven't. In Christian theology, don't worry. In Latter-day Saint theology, we do. But in Christian theology, you haven't always existed. Which means God can give you all of the power in the world. But he can't make you always have existed. Because what makes God, God, is that God has always existed. And so, uh, his very nature prevents there from being any peers. What makes God God is that he has always been God. That's the point of God. Latter-day Saints, of course, you know, Joseph Smith turns that on its head and says, you suppose that God was God from all eternity. Who, who told you that? Right? And then he demonstrates in the King Follett sermon that God became God. Now, that's the most heretical thing. I mean, well, there's a lot of heretical things, okay? <laughs> Tune in to the other premium. We'll talk all about the heretical things, but um, there's a lot of heretical things. That's, that's really kind of at the nature of it. This idea that God became God absolutely rejects the entirety of every early Christian creed. So it's not just we aren't okay with Nicaea. We're not okay with Nicaea. We're not okay with Constantinople. We're not okay with Chalcedon. We don't accept any of the early Christian churches attempt to put God in a in a non-revelatory box to try to say, well, God must be this and this must be his nature or this must be that. Um, a, a Christian would, would say it again, depending on the faith tradition, they would say that God, you know, knowing that mankind was going to fall. Now what they don't go, they need to go further on that and say, okay, if God knew that mankind was going to fall, then why is he letting them fall? Why am I creating Adam and Eve out of nothing, knowing that they're going to fall? And it is, it's a profound thing that when you get to really deep Christian thinkers who are very honest about what they, they're not just, you know, banging a tambourine and telling you to come up and put money in the jar. I mean, someone who has really wrestled with these questions and is honest about it, they will say that's one of the mysteries, one of the mysteries of creation. I don't know why. The fact that God created us knowing that we would fall must be good because God only does good things. So it's good by definition because God did it. We have no idea why. That's what a Christian theologian would say. It somehow must be good. Now, a Latter-day Saint would say, I agree with you. (laughs) It must be good. And I do have an idea why. The idea why is because We weren't created out of nothing. We've always existed. And there were steps that we needed to take in order to progress to become like our Heavenly Father. And they just so happen to be steps that our Heavenly Father himself took. Now, there's all kinds of blasphemy wrapped up in that. There's a reason why Christians reject what we're thinking. To John's point, um, sure, you are going to find individual Christians that that always in their own mind think of God and Jesus as being separate and 
And when they pray, they think of them as two different individuals and they don't understand Trinitarian theology. So it's important to understand that that that's the case. I mean, all of us have met people who, who, who will say, you know, I, I've just always felt like that God and Jesus were separate. It seems like they are in the scripture. I mean, when you read the Bible, they certainly come across as being separate, right? Jesus is praying to him. God is talking to him. Jesus is talking back. It, if you're just reading the New Testament, it certainly sounds like they're separate beings. Um, but their churches would reject that theology. And I don't want to hang too much on those churches because, look, all of us know Latter-day Saints who are fully active, who believe things that our church does not believe, that our church would be like, yeah, we don't believe that at all, actually. But they're still running around saying in Sunday school, right? So I think you have to have a little bit of grace for that. Um, it's not that our church isn't teaching people how the plan of salvation works. It's that, you know, so-and-so has a thought in their head that it involves this too, even though that's never been taught, but they, it matters to them. So they say it, but I guess the short answer to your question, and it's hard to have a short answer at 52 minutes, but, um, the short answer is that is what those Christian denominations believe. And I would say, look, Trinitarian theology is, it is what you learn in any type of Sunday school or catechism that you go through in any of those denominations. So while you might not think of God and Jesus as being the same being when you're praying and in your mind, you still separate them out. You will have had some kind of formal education in church. If you're active, if you're going all the time where you've been taught. No, they are literally God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are one God. They are they are they're one God. And when you say, well, how can that be? It's a mystery of God. Uh, it, it's a crazy thing to say God does not have a body. Jesus is God. Jesus has a body. Okay, so let's do the math theorem on that. God doesn't have a body. Jesus is God. Jesus has a body. Where are you on that one, Blaise Pascal? And where, 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 where's our theorem for that one? And yet, it, 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 in fact, sometimes people argue we believe it because it's a mystery. And as we talked about in the previous episodes, if you're coming in and this is the only one you've ever listened to, please go back and listen to the others. Actually, start from the very beginning um, because there are reasons why they had to come to that conclusion. How is it possible that God can be God and that Jesus can be God and that the Holy Spirit can be God and we aren't polytheists? The only way that that's possible is if God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are actually all one essence. You you brought this up in 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 several several of the, you know, our Mormons Christian episodes, just this idea of polytheism isn't even something that He's even really thought about, you know, in in the same way that it was then. To them, both Judaism and Christianity, it was it was one it was the main part, right? It, it the driving force, especially of every early convert to Christianity, because every early convert is you know either a Samaritan or or a Judean. You know, I mean, like they're they're Jewish um, until you get Paul. You, then you finally get the expansion of the gospel, but that's after Jesus. I mean, Jesus tells his disciples not to go into the lands of the Samaritan or the Gentiles. It's not until Peter receives his revelation that they can even start baptizing Gentiles. So it's after Jesus that the gospel is taken outside of Judaism. And so the most fundamental aspect of Judaism is that there's only one God. 
you can see how hard it is then for Jewish believers in Jesus, Jews who think that Jesus is the Messiah, to take the next step and say, Jesus isn't just the Messiah, Jesus is divine. And the word divine means God. Well, how can Jesus be God if if the Father is God? And you'll notice, as you read your New Testament this year, notice especially in the Gospel of John, the number of times that they threatened to kill Jesus for blasphemy. Why? Because thou, being a man, makest thyself God. It is actually fundamental even in the reason why the Jews are rejecting Jesus in the Gospel of John because, you know, thou art not yet 50 years old and yet thou hast seen Abraham, right? Because Jesus said, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced, right? Um, and Jesus gives that that just the most powerful of all. It's not surprising that Jesus has the best rejoinders of all. It's almost as if he were perfect, Um but he gives that most powerful response of all time before Abraham was, I am. And I am being a reference to, to I am that I am, which is what Moses is told by the burning bush up on the mountain, that the name of God was I am. And here Jesus declares in the gospel of John, I am, I am, right? And they took up stones to stone him because that, that was the blasphemy. And so, it's a very difficult thing for a Christian today. Like today, like when I have, you know, Latter-day Saint or regular Christian students confront the idea of someone being Hindu, they, it, it is a incredibly difficult, difficult thing for them to wrap their heads around it. How could you possibly believe that there are hundreds of gods? Like it's, it, it's actually something that I would guess most Christians have never, most modern Christians never even asked the question. From the cradle to grave, they believe that there's just one God. And they believe, you know, when they hear about Hindus believing that there's multiple gods, saying, whoa, how crazy are those people that they could believe in multiple gods? In the early world, the ancient world, it would have been exactly the opposite. There would have only been people who believed in polytheism and they would have thought it as ridiculous. Uh, I, <laughs> I hate to bring up an atheist on the podcast, um, especially a, a funny one. Um, but, um, Ricky Gervais is a very well-known atheist and, and he often spouts off on his atheism. Um, and, uh, you know, he's kind of a crass uh, comedian, which is the reason why they had him hosting the Oscars, I think, for as long as they did, because... I think it was Golden the Globes. Golden Globes. Golden Globes, yeah. yeah, right. Um, because, you know, they no one was getting slapped enough, I guess, and they needed some other controversy. Um, but uh, he was, uh, he's been in multiple conversations with people, well, how can you not believe in God? And he's like, well, I mean... You know, there are people who believe there are hundreds of gods. Do you believe that there's hundreds of gods? And they're like, well, no, no, there's only one God. And he's like, well, then I only believe in one less God than you do. <laughs> right? There are people who believe that there's 400 gods. You're telling me there's only one. Well, then we're almost exactly the same. I just believe in one less than you. You're re- why are you rejecting the other 399? Right? And you can give all kinds of reasons why you're rejecting them. Um, now, I'm not arguing that anyone listening to the podcast should be an atheist. What I'm saying is, 
In our world, the whole reason why that's a conversation with Ricky Gervais in his interview is because the idea that there is more than one God is actually more preposterous than the idea that there isn't a God to us. You actually have more respect, generally, for someone who's an atheist than you do for someone who claims that there's a hundred gods. It's so different from the early Christian world. Like, if you had a friend who was Hindu and was trying to tell you about the hundreds of gods they believe in, I mean, you might respect him, but you'd be like, "This, I, I don't accept any part of anything that you're saying, right? But if you had a friend who was like, you know, I just, I study science and I just, it just, it's just not logical that there's a God. You might still be able to have, you, you, you know what? I see where you're coming from. I see, you know, evolution and the big bang theory. I get it. You know, you, know, you, you would actually generally have more sympathy for that person. And they all came from a world where atheism didn't exist. Um, uh, and, and polytheism, anyone who didn't believe in it was crazy. The same way that you look at someone who believes in a hundred gods as being crazy, that's how they saw monotheism. So it's not surprising that the early Christian arguments, as these episodes have demonstrated, all revolve around who is God? What is the nature of God? How is it that God and Jesus can both be God? How is it that God cannot have a body, but Jesus can have a body, but the Holy Spirit can have a body? How is it that Jesus became mortal? How is it that an immortal God can become mortal when you're immortal, you can't become mortal? And how can that immortal mortal be, die when you can't die because you're immortal? I mean, it, it sounds like you know it, you're running in circles, but that's literally what they're doing. How is it that Jesus can be fully human? Is Jesus a man or is Jesus a God? Now, I, I think many Christians, you know, they tend to highlight the, the God nature of Jesus. But creedally, what Christians believe is that Jesus was 100% human. 100%. Not, he's not Hercules. He's not half man, half God. Fully God. He's fully, fully man. Fully man. 100% man. And also, by an unknowable mystery, 100% God. If you were to write that on any math test, your professor would come back and say, I don't think you understand percentages. You can't both be 100% not a God and 100% also a God. Not if you, 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 would, you would come back and say, well, then I guess you don't understand the definition of the terms. Latter-day Saints have things that we can't explain. I don't know exactly how ceilings work in the next life. I don't know, you know, what the glories of the kingdoms are going to be like. I don't fully understand how the progression is going to take place in the next life. So there are things we certainly can't explain. But we don't, when it comes to Christology, have as a fundamental doctrine something that we say we can't possibly understand. Outside of, what all Christians admit, and that is we cannot comprehend the atonement of Jesus Christ. Kind of a way to dovetail the end of this, right, is that your Christian friend and, and, and a Latter-day Saint, they, they, they do have one central thing in common, even if they don't agree, even if your Christian friend says, well, you're not a real Christian and you believe in the wrong Jesus and you don't believe in the Trinity on down the line, there is one area of agreement 
And that is, even if we're believing in the wrong Jesus, we both believe that the only way anyone can be saved is through the atonement of Jesus Christ. They would say we're wrong about the atonement. We're wrong about how it works. We're wrong about who Jesus is. They would say we're... But if you, if you had to write a sentence, true or false, the only way you can be saved is through the atonement of Jesus Christ, a Latter-day Saint would mark true and a Christian would mark true. Now, then they would get in a fist fight over what that meant. But uh, uh, fundamentally, we still believe that salvation only comes from Jesus. So for me, I think that that should dictionary define Latter-day Saints as Christians because they believe fundamentally salvation cannot exist except through Jesus. And really what Christians are attacking Latter-day Saints for is for believing the wrong thing about Jesus's nature, not about that salvation comes from him. Anyway, thanks for joining us. We hope to catch you on another podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Standard of Truth podcast, hosted by historian Dr. Garrett Dirkmott. If you know anybody that could benefit from the material in this episode, please share it with them. And for more resources, visit standardoftruth.com. Until next time.